Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? My name is Michael Sano. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. I am so excited right now. I am sitting across the table. This is such a fun introduction from one of my best friends in the entire world and a co-alum of the City College of New York, Go Beavers. That's right. Yossi Hertz. What's up? Good to be here. How's it going, man? Holy cow. Ah! It's it's kind of surreal because like you and I used to have so many conversations at City College and we would sit and talk for like hours on end. And you know, and I remember thinking, some of this definitely should have been recorded. <laughs> if only. Oh my gosh. Well, all right. So the sad truth is most of the times that these conversations were happening. I was supposed to be somewhere else and just could not tear myself away. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my we God. Classes. Yeah. Oh. Skipping. Oops. Sorry about that, guys. Um, but I got my degree. There's nothing you can do about it now. Exactly. Um, all right. So, uh, wh- so it's before we go into it, I want to say real quick how random this interview is because I was, uh, I was coming over here. I was coming to do all my interviews and I got this random post showed up on my feed of you. (laughs) uh, Well, not of you, of your passport. Right. Within, uh, and, and it was, I think it was while I was here, I got it or while I was getting on the plane, I got it or something like that. And you just made Aliyah. Yes, I did. And actually like I went dark for a couple months, (laughs) fell off the grid. Whoa. Uh, (laughs) Um, you know, just to, uh, just to be sure that this was actually going to be happening, that uh, Aliyah was going to be permanent, and I had a bit of a uh, bit of an issue with actually getting my passport. And anybody who's the children of Israelis who are coming back to Israel, they know mm-hmm. that it can be an even bigger hassle than just a regular Ole uh, Aliyah process. Mm-hmm. So um, when I actually finally got the passport last week, uh, it was pretty cool, and so I, you know, actually made a little post just to. Just to show that yes, it, it actually happened, and of course, when you get your uh, your Israeli ID and your Israeli passport, it's uh, it's pretty momentous and exciting. And it was yeah. cool because when that post came up, I was hit with so much nostalgia because I was you know hitting like on it, and as I'm looking at it, Hadar, who is a friend of ours, who uh, these conversations that you and I had, she was always sitting there. Right on the side going, no, no, no. <laughs> and uh, so it, it's, it, felt like, it felt like a little bit of a homecoming. Um, all right, uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know about you. Where are you from? So I was originally born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my family and I moved to Muncie, New York uh, when I was about 12, so right before my bar mitzvah. Um, and I lived in Muncie, up until about two months ago, uh, when I finally made Aliyah. Um, I'm Orthodox. I was Orthodox almost my whole life. Well, we can get into the almost, <laughs> if you like. Um, and I'm currently observant. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, that was and is a huge part of my life. Um, and I obviously uh, went to City College, uh, started about, what was it now, four years ago? Oh five my years, gosh, five yeah. years ago when five I years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. So let's go back to Monty. Let's yes. go back to Brooklyn. Um, there are a lot of people who are watching this who know very little uh, about Jewish life in the United States. Can you tell us, just give us a little bit of a window into growing up Orthodox? Sure. Um, 
Well, I grew up in the biggest Orthodox community outside of Israel. Wow. Uh, yeah, just the New York metropolitan area. Um, and for me personally, it, it was uh, it, it's it, it was very very sheltered. Um, and there are different sort of categories within the Orthodox community. Um, I I lived a pretty sheltered life. Uh, almost almost all of my friends, if not all of my friends, uh, were were Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, but on the other hand, though, my parents are professionals. Um, my 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 father is a doctor and my mother's an accountant. And so um, being uh, open and, and educated and these are things are always important in my, in my family. Um, I grew up with, you know, with um, a TV and watching movies and regular, you know, American culture. Um, actually when I was in first grade. So then I actually went to a Hasidic school, which is a you know, ultra, ultra Orthodox. Okay. Um, and I, when I was in first grade, they actually asked me uh, not to come back in second grade. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, because I was yes. watching uh, Barney and Big Bird and uh, yeah, Sesame Street. And um, and I was uh, enlightening all oh, of my other man. classmates. <laughs> You'll never guess what happened to Barney last night. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Red flag, red flag, yeah. Um, I was actually discussing what, you know, what <laughs> who Ernie and Bert are, you know, with the head of the school. And they told my parents, yeah, this is uh, this is not the place for him. This is not going to work. Yeah. Um, so I switched to a, another school that was a little, it wasn't ultra orthodox. It was just very orthodox. Okay. Um, in other words, you know, for when I was in ultra orthodox school, so everyone spoke in Yiddish and I speak, Did, fluent, I speak fluent Yiddish. Get out of here. Yes. Holy yeah. cow. That's so amazing. So yeah, no, it is one of the professors that I had um, at city college. He specifically came to city college because Yiddish, uh, is dying outside of, I mean, I mean, it is, it's, it's, and there's <laughs> this is. big revival academically to bring it back and you lived it. Right. Right. Well, so even in the ultra Orthodox, um, world, whether it's, well, I, I guess I'm, I'm talking specifically about the, um, the American ultra Orthodox community. Okay. The Yiddish is actually being replaced by Yanglish, which is a, a pigeon wow. amalgamation of English and Yiddish. So people will say, um, Something like, um, have gegangen to the supermarket, um, <laughs> and it's given a so shine, it was, it was given so nice. So, have a shine selection, they'll throw in English words, you know, and and many of these, um, many of these kids growing up, that's the natural Yiddish that they speak today, which is the Hebrew right. that I speak now. So, <laughs> yeah, it's I speak Hebrew, so wow. Yeah. That's actually happening, um, and I had a conversation with my uh, my aunt and uncle, maybe about eight months ago or so, when we were talking about how Yiddish itself is, you know, outside of outside of the Hasidic community is never spoken, and, mm-hmm. it, and it is a dying language. Um, but I personally am not too broken up about it. My aunt was very broken up <laughs> about oh. it, um, but I, and this is again, this has to do with. Zionism and and the progression of Jewish history and 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 the Jewish people. I don't see Yiddish necessarily as a Jewish language. Hebrew is a Jewish language. Wow. And we've had different languages over the millennia as Jews that we've spoken. And Yiddish was one that started what about in the thirteen hundreds, twelve hundreds or so. You know, yeah. you know, medieval as a conglomeration of numerous languages intermixed with Hebrew. Right. But the text is in Hebrew. Right. right. Correct. Yes, but it's it's German and sometimes a little bit of Russian, mixed with mixed with Hebrew. 
and um and uh, you know it, it it is what it is like okay. if you want to be a jew that stretches back with 3000 year old memory yiddish is less <laughs> is less significant <laughs> than people right yeah wow it's a little road bump oh but it has a rich history though 100% yeah Absolutely. I, I don't denigrate it i don't uh, i don't see it as like a uh, as a negative thing um and it's actually you know considering it the influence of hebrew on yiddish uh it's it, you know it's it's a beautiful language i also, i have friends who can't stand it which is funny because in the beginning i don't know how much you've delved into pre zionist history but the bundists yes. the people who started it they right. were averse to yiddish they thought it was a peasant language right. i'm not saying that it is i'm not saying i subscribe to that um but when that was their perception, yeah. yeah, when they were deciding, okay, what are we going to use as a language in the new state of Israel? Um, these were Theodore Herzl converse. Whoa, Theodore Herzl conversations. That mm-hmm. that was the perception, but it's persisted, which is interesting. Right. Now, one of the things that I want to ask about. So you've been inside this community. You grew up inside this community. Yes. Um, what is What's what's the feel towards Israel? Negative. Okay, it's a negative feel towards Israel. Um, over, overall, now it's it, it it ranges, right? So it's I can't that that no, was no no. If I had your to, perception, that's right, all. Sure. Well, so I mean, uh, if I had to, um, you know, sort of dumb it down into one word, <laughs> obviously you never want to dumb things down. <laughs> And we have enough time here. <laughs> Welcome to a city college education. <laughs> <laughs> we have enough time here to uh, to actually get into it. So overall, it's negative. But at the same time, you know, and there's always a but. Mm-hmm. Um, things have changed. Um, and, so what, and it also depends. And it also depends. And this is the real question. Okay. What do you mean by Zionism? Well, I didn't say Zionism. I was very careful not or, to. Excuse me. You said Israel. That's yes. true. And so you do you mean Israel... Today, the state. the state. Yes. The state is actually, the, the feeling towards it is from, okay, so first of all, we have to take a step back. Please. If we're talking about the modern Orthodox community, mm-hmm. it's overwhelmingly positive. Wow. Okay? Awesome. And if you're talking about the ultra-Orthodox, it varies from overwhelmingly negative to overwhelmingly positive to... Um, will suffer this. Yes. Or sort of just, this is the state that is currently uh, legislating and controlling our lives. And not only that, but there is, according to Jewish law, you would have a responsibility to follow the law of the country that you're living in. And it doesn't matter that it's a Jewish state. It's the same as any other country. Um, That, I would think, is the attitude of most. Recently, there have been uh, some issues with army service that have become, uh, I would say, uh, they have become more prevalent and are, are public issues that are being debated currently in, in Israeli society, which I'm talking specifically about, yeah. right, you know, uh, about the IDF and, uh, and, and y- the requirement or, of yeshiva boys the, uh, to, to serve, perhaps, um, right, so for yeshiva boys, I mean, guys who are, ser- who are sitting and learning Torah 24-7. Right, the they had a, uh, how would you call it, a an exemption 
Yes. Right. That started. They had a waiver. With, yes. With it started with Ben Gurion, um, and the amount of students who had a an exemption was like a few hundred mm -hmm. in nineteen forty eight or forty nine when when this was. Uh, well, actually, no, the war was over 49, so it was probably a little bit after that, but that number has exploded, and now you have tens of thousands, if not hundreds. Well, you of have very people. large families so right. who, are, who are involved in these communities. Right, and, right. Yeah. And so they feel that they should not be, uh, should not be forced to serve in the Army. Oftentimes, they even give the, uh, the reason that their, their sitting and learning is helping to protect the Jewish community, the, the, uh, the merit of it, the spiritual mm -hmm. merit of it. Um, if you're secular, you probably <laughs> won't find that very convincing. Um, and so, for example... Uh, I have a chamsa on the wall. I think I'm fine. <laughs> not you. I was using no, the uh, no. third person here. Uh, you know, so. That's what I was doing. I'm sorry. Oh. I don't actually have one. It's but, in a bag over there. Sorry. Go on. I interrupted the flow. Keep going. No worries. No worries. So, um, yeah, this is what's become prevalent now, with, especially with, uh, it used to be Yeshatid, which was headed by Yair Lapid, and now it's, um, uh, now it's become part of the, uh, sort of the, the issue with, um, or part of the agenda with Kachol uh, Um Many people, though, who are part of uh, Likud also sympathize with this sentiment. And these are all should be political parties, just right. for those of you who yes. don't know. Right, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, I should have... Uh, no, no, yeah. you're fine, you're fine. That's <laughs> what I'm here for. Don't worry about it. You're cool. To keep me honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, um, it just, it, it varies. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, so it varies and it also, it um, has, there, there's a lot of minutiae involved when it comes to uh, Jewish law. Um, and we don't have, I don't think, enough time to go into so a lot of the um, the... Uh, yeah, the, the minutia. The minutia, right? yeah. Um, but my personal story is that my great grandfather was an Orthodox, ultra Orthodox religious Jew. He came from the uh, Hasidic Gur. Um, uh, Ger today is huge in Israel. It's, yeah. a, it's a follower. It's a. It's a. Um, Did you it's pull a the microphone sure. a little closer? Sure. It's a Hasidic sect, mm -hmm. um, and they're they're very very large here in Israel today, um, and yet despite the fact that um, many of them are sort of on the fence about Israel and about Zionism, but my, uh, my great-grandfather loved the, wow. land, the land of Israel. And we're talking about in, in the 20s and the 30s. And uh, this is a good story. So, uh, and Please, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't no, know if I, I told don't, it to you. You've never told me. Okay. <laughs> See, I, I can't remember because we've talked so much. I can never remember, you know, have I told <laughs> this to Michael? What have ground have we covered? Right, exactly. My great-grandfather um, decided that he wanted to live in the land of Israel. They were living in Poland, in this little town called uh, Rembertov, um, and, which is right near Warsaw. Um, and my great-grandmother thought that he was certifiably insane to <laughs> want to do this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're talking about a time when, you know, the Brit during the British Mandate of Palestine, uh, the land of Israel was, was a backwater. Um, oh. There were the, the amazing infrastructure and society and, and all the amazing things that, that Israel has built Today, mm -hmm. you know, obviously, totally didn't exist. So um, her her number one question was like, why would we go to this place? It's dangerous. Like just 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 the fact of of uh, personal safety uh, and security mm -hmm. was an issue. And then on top of that, she said, you know, you have um, you have a livelihood here. You have a way to make money. Why would we uproot ourselves? And they would have this argument constantly. So they went to this really really holy rabbi who supposedly all of the women listened to. Mm -hmm. um, 
because he was just known as to be such a, a, a holy person. And he agreed, said, listen, let's go to him, and whatever he says, we'll do. They went to him, she said her side, he said his side, and they, the, the rabbi basically sat there, very old man. This was in about 19, early 1930s. Wow. Uh, Hitler had already been, been elected. Uh, or his the, the Nazi party was on the rise, wow. and he said, "We have to." I'll say it in Yiddish. You have to run or flee, as if we're running from a fire. And that was it. That was the end of it. They started packing, and he actually moved uh, to Israel and found uh, work as a shochet, someone who uh, uh, does um, kosher uh, slaughter of animals. And uh, eventually, he became a rabbi here in uh, here in Israel, which was. Uh, you seem to be getting I'm kind of I'm, emotional. I'm like, oh I've God. got like shivers just yes. hearing this yes. story. Go, please. My uh, my grandfather at the age of 14 um, was um, the last one of his family to make it out. He had two sib- two sisters actually visited his uh, his grave yesterday. Um, he was 14 years old. It was about uh, it was a few weeks before uh, before um, before um, not, before Hitler invaded Poland mm-hmm. and. Um, he made it out of the uh, on the last boat. He was actually on the same boat as Martin Buber. What? Yes, and he actually went and attended a lecture of his on the boat. Holy cow! Yes. Whoa! Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow! Um, yeah. So, <laughs> pretty cool story. And uh, I think we asked him once about the lecture. He said it was not bad. Not bad. <laughs> you know, Buber was, was okay. a total secular uh, humanist philosopher uh, and one of the one of the greatest of the twentieth century. And uh, my grandfather was 14 years old, uh, uh, orthodox, uh, orthodox, but uh, uh, you know, ultra orthodox uh, kid from from Gur, and he said he enjoyed it very, very much. Wow! <laughs> so it is in your blood. Yeah, yeah. it and really, really yeah. is. So, love of Zion, I would say, is in my blood. Um, you know, whether that the, the Zionist movement was extremely secular and dominated by the secular for, mm-hmm. from by the, by the 10s, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. But my grand, my great-grandfather eventually became the rabbi of a town here in Israel called, today it's called Maskeret Batya. Back then it was called Ekron. And Ekron was the one of the first, if not the first, religious kibbutz to actually be successful here in the land of Israel. Uh, and he was the rabbi of the town from 1949 or 48 to 61. Holy Joe, that's crazy. Yes. Wow. So, yeah, my next question was going to be, you have family in Israel. Where where do they live? How big are they and all that? Um, so, yeah, can actually, there you go. That's my next question. <laughs> I have uh, family from my father's side. Um, they live in Haifa. Um, they live in, uh, one of them used to live in Modian. I'm not sure where they're living right now. Um, and then from my mother's side, I actually have an aunt uh, and uh, first cousin who live actually like literally across the street from me in Jerusalem right now. Wow. So, yeah, so, you know, a lot of connections and... Uh, well, that's easy yeah. for coffee and sugar. That's perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. No, it's great. <laughs> uh, for anybody who's contemplating Aliyah, I will tell you, um, having family here really, really helps and, you know, and you need to find ways to, uh, to, to make... Uh, you know, to, to make them a part of your lives when, when you arrive. Mm-hmm. Can't be strangers. Um, and if you don't have family here, then uh, they need to make family. Definitely. In other words, in other words uh, this is a Jewish state, and we're all Jews, and we're all, we're all part of the same family. So That's awesome. 
And that's maybe that'll lead, if you want, we can talk about that leads us into our next part of the conversation, yeah. which is about what is the Aliyah process like? So before we get into what is the Aliyah process like, because what I want to do with that is I want to close out with that because that's, that's your, that's your future. Right. Um, let's go a little bit to, uh, back into your past. Sure. Um, you're on campus, you're from the Orthodox community, um, different levels at different times. Now you're on a normal American campus, a diverse campus where the percentage of Jews is, is significant. I would say, uh, because it's in New York, it is the Jewish Harvard go Beavers. Um, But still, it is a minority. Right. What's it like? Well, for me, the first experience was simply just acclimating to a co-ed environment. I was never I didn't ever, even think about that. Yeah. Holy. <laughs> I, was never in a, I was never in a class with other girls in my class. So that, that in itself was brand new. I started off at um, SUNY Rockland, mm-hmm. uh, which is right near, uh, it's, it's in Muncie. Um, where I grew up, and then I transferred to City College, and obviously the old, always the the most bizarre part. Although eventually, you know, I, I got I got over <laughs> it. I got used to it. It wasn't that difficult to get over. <laughs> you know, um, it's yeah, it was uh, it was pretty weird and interesting in the beginning. Um, although it's it's definitely not the same as like being in high school because when you're in college, people are more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are sort of tales that you're told in growing up in orthodox yeshiva you know you're gonna of the 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 crazy promiscuous college environment whoa right now most orthodox uh uh, jews who go to college in new york um and and i I mean specifically those who go to college in new york not Mm -hmm. those who live who who not those who live in new york but go to college somewhere else yeah um they don't have that promiscuous experience because of CUNY, CUNY City College, it's a commuter college. Okay. Um, if I had gone, let's say, to Binghamton, or which is where I was considering at one point, but any any of these places where you dorm, mm-hmm. and you might have that experience. I went to CUNY. It's it's very it's much more professional, um, and uh, you know maybe a more appropriate uh, atmosphere than than other college. I think any commuter college is like mm-hmm. that. Um, There's also a structure yeah. there though for Jews. Um, a lifeline to the Jewish community in Hillel and Chabad. And they're very active at City College. And right. you were active within them. Can you right. go into that? Sure. I mean, Hillel and Chabad are active all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I was the president of Hillel at SUNY Rockland. Um, but what's interesting about that Hillel is that it's a it's run by, by a Chabad rabbi. So <laughs> I got the best of both worlds. Um and then, uh, you know, when I was, when I went to City College, then my, my, my focus shifted to Israel advocacy, uh, Israel advocacy work on campus. And so I was simply just, uh, I would attend Hillel and Chabad, which they have separate events at City mm-hmm. College. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Israel advocacy on campus. Okay. So now we're getting into this. And this is actually comes back to the question that you asked about three minutes ago, mm-hmm. which is, what is, you know, what is it like to be a minority as a Jew on campus? Um, the general feeling is that you can be a Jew on campus and there won't be any issues. Just don't talk about Israel. That's all. Wow. Okay. Now, I have to qualify that. It does depend on which college you go to. 
And in fact, I think more colleges that you go to that are further out in the Midwest, um, assuming that they're not Ivy League, um, but, you know, colleges where, let's say, the, uh, the politics are less focused on or um, they're just less... Uh, less it depends on where they rank in the NCAA. <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. Go on. Yes, uh, it, it be, but especially with the Ivy Leagues. But, you know, you can have some campuses where just... Students are not interested in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they have other interests. So they might be partying. I mean, the first state that comes to mind for me is like Penn State, which is okay. out in the middle of nowhere, um, even though it's it's a massive college town. But they don't really have anti-Israel issues because it's just not something that's on their mind. And, and it's also, I think, uh, perhaps the identity politics that are on, that are prevalent on college campuses just hasn't reached them as much. Okay. Um, so at the end of the day, though, the... That's a minority of the college campuses. Okay. Most uh, are, I think, uh, and it has to do also when you're dealing with professors, um, being a Zionist on campus is difficult. Very, very difficult. Why? Whoa. Why? (laughs) (laughs) You've trained for this. Come on. You know the answer. No, it's just that, you know, there's no no one-sentence answer. Um. But essentially, the the campus uh, American campuses are dominated by the academic left. Um, radical identity politics are fully not just accepted, but are are pushed. Okay. And um, when it comes to uh, countries that are seen as, um, I'd say, pushing a particular. Um, Narrative, narrative, or I would say, you know, uh, or who are seen as who are seen as associated with imperialism, um, they are ostracized. And so, if you associate yourself with that, mm-hmm. I'll, and I'll talk specifics. Um, Edward Said wrote a book in the seventies called Orientalism. Or Edward Said was a professor of uh, English literature, I believe, at uh, at Columbia. Okay. Um, and this book, Orientalism, took the... Come a little took, closer. Sure. This, this book, Orientalism, took the academic world by storm. Um, it was very postmodernist in its, uh, in its approach in the sense that um, don't want to focus on, I guess, what is true or, you know, it's not, it's not rooted in, in truth, but necessarily everything is, is relative and that... Uh, Oh, like moral relativism, moral relativism and all of that. Sure. Yeah, uh, mixed in with, uh, and then what he did was he mixed that with a with an imperialist, um, an imperialist worldview that included Israel in, as as an imperial as an imperialist. Now, okay. before the seventies and really before the Six Day War, Israel wasn't seen as as an imperialist by okay. the, by 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 a huge amount of people. Now, by the Arab world, they were, and uh, but most academics were not on board. That sort of shifted. Uh, with, yes, with uh, with Israel's uh, you know taking over of, or doubling in size essentially after it was attacked during, during the Six Day War, um, and with the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza, and despite the um, despite I would say the truth, the facts on the ground of how it is that Israel came to acquire these territories, and it's also its efforts towards peace and to actually even give back the territories. You know, mm-hmm. I got asked once on campus by a student, "Why doesn't Israel just just give back the territories?" You know, well, the Sinai, the whole Sinai. But even but no, but it, when they say the territories today, they mean uh, oh. West Bank and Gaza. And the answer is, what makes you think we haven't tried? 
Well, there was the pullout from uh, Gush. Um, I can't remember the name. Gush of it. Katif. In yeah, 2000, Gush Katif. 2005. Then it actually happened. That was already after offers had been made uh, to Yasser Arafat by uh, by, um, by by Clint by Clinton, and, mm-hmm. well, not by Clinton, but by um, who the, the Israeli Prime Minister at the time was Barack Barack Barack. Yeah, um, and that was firmly rejected by Yasser Arafat. These, these are facts that, you know, that, mm-hmm. that don't understand. It's that, that a lot of people don't understand uh, or don't know. Like you said, you said to me earlier before, before we started this, right? <laughs> uh, what was it about? People are, people are just not educated, right? Yes. So, so we were having a discussion right. and I had said people are uneducated and you had said that they are ignorant. And I said, <clears throat> I think ignorance is a disease. Um, Whereas being uneducated is easily resolvable. Right. But there are people sometimes who don't want to be educated on things because right. it doesn't fit their message or whatever. Right. So I think this is the uncomfortable truth that a lot of people don't want to hear, especially if you are, uh, on, if you do find yourself on the, uh, on the left of the political spectrum, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter where, um, the fact of the matter is that uh, a huge part of college campus uh, academics have become, and specifically, I don't mean I don't mean the you know the sciences, the STEM, you know the STEMs. Although mm-hmm. although it's slowly happening, but the American college like the system, social just, sciences, social and sciences like and humanities have become uh, a hotbed of identity politics, uh, and specifically Jews who are considered white. Mm-hmm. And the the reason why is because for the longest time in the U.S. Jews were white. Okay. Know, they, the the uh, influx of the Mizrahi community into the American Jewish uh, into the American Jewish community is is fairly recent. Okay. Um, so speak, you yeah. saw. So this, but this this actually is is one of the reasons why mm-hmm. Jews who go on campus and who want to talk about their Israeli. Uh, or their Israeli their affinity to Israel mm-hmm. and specifically um, their feelings towards Zionism, their positive feelings towards Zionism, mm-hmm. and it, it's integral part of their identity. Um, they they usually find themselves um, misunderstood at best and demonized at worst. Well, I found myself shut down, just absolutely shut down, and told numerous times that I don't think you know enough. Right. And you, were, and you were you were a Jewish studies major. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, yes, it is a major problem. But you made founder uh, inroads to try to change that on campus. Sure. Uh, what did you try to do? So, or um, what did you do? Right. Not so, try. <laughs> so, um, with a, another girl, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Hendel Seif. What uh, up, Hendel? How's it going? <laughs> just got a shout out. <laughs> um, we co-founded um, the first pro-Israel uh, group at uh, at City College, um, and we would essentially create events and do uh, quite a few uh, tabling events, um, tabling initiatives on campus, essentially to try to get a discussion going about Israel. Um, Brought all sorts of speakers, uh, including uh, the Consul General of, of yes. Israel, Denidan, and you were there at that event, and the fireworks were, were, were flying. It was amazing. <laughs> yes. Well, that not, actually, uh, it's funny, it was um, because I want to talk to you about something that happened. So there was a young woman, um, an Orthodox girl, who uh, was a student, and 
This goes into what we were talking about, about the Orthodox community Mm -hmm. and being at City College and now this larger vessel that is, you know, the world community. And um, she was traumatized. She was traumatized by all the screaming that was done by opponents of Danny Dayan. Right. For those who are listening, um, and actually, if you go on my Twitter feed, it's there somewhere from a couple of years ago, uh, a video of the event. And so let's just explain yeah. what happened. Okay. Um, this was the second time that he actually came on campus. And um, there was about just as many uh, people who were there just to hear the, the consul general or who, who, who themselves are probably affiliated with the club, with the Jewish community, as those who were against. Mm-hmm. So um, the Students for Justice in Palestine chapter at City College was in full attendance as well as any and all of their their allies, and they invited, as you recall, uh, the Nitori Karta. The Nitori Karta is a uh, minority uh, fringe group in the ultra orthodox community that actually I would say do not represent the ultra orthodox community in their tactics or even in their uh, in some of the absolutely. Um, um, well, their stances absolutely. are just uh, totally against everything that um, Israel stands for. Right, but it's also against what the vast majority of Jews stand for and even the majority of the ultra-Orthodox community stands for. Um, so they, But they were out there in full protest with, uh, with the most vile, disgusting uh, posters um, in, uh, in protest of the consul general. Israel. And they were yelling, yelling horrible, screaming, horrible things. Um, and the worst part, was that when it was all over, the administrator of the college, who was there mm-hmm. representing uh, President uh, Vincent Baudreau, the uh, uh, the president of the college, he got up at the end and uh, and he said uh, the the most the most naive and shocking words. He said, "Thank you, everyone, for coming. I want to thank everyone who was here, who is civil, um, and you've all, everyone here has shown." Uh, what civil dialogue and discussion, uh, this, what civil dialogue and discussion is about, this has been an example for the rest of the world. The rest of the world can learn from what went on here. I mean, it was like, I, I was I thinking to myself, were we at the same event? <laughs> were we oh watching the same things? Uh, no, not at all, because... They're oblivious. Going back to what I was, what I said when we started this little part of the conversation, I I, I turned to you, I said... I understand this is bad, but why is this girl so upset? And I said, you said to me, Michael, you don't understand this. This girl grew up in the Orthodox community. She's never experienced anything like this college, let alone something like with this much vitriol. Did I, did I say that that it's because she's because she's Orthodox? Yeah, you had said that. Right. Um, it's Cause I, no, because I don't think that. I mean, I guess if I said it, I said it, but I don't <clears> think that. Uh, I don't think that has anything to do with being Orthodox. The only thing is that perhaps simply it's just, it's a more sheltered. Uh, yeah. She had know, never experienced that type of vitriol against Jews. Right. But most, most Jews, uh, you know, the vast majority of Jews have not, have not experienced that. I could be wrong. Don't worry about <laughs> it. We can move on. No, but I know it does certainly compound. Uh, I, if, if that is what I said, and it actually does make sense in some sense, because it, um, that sort of upbringing will compound any feeling that you have where you're, you're just brand new on college campuses. You're, try, you're already feeling a little bit out of place and, uh, and just trying to fit in. And then all of a sudden, you get this crazy 
demonization uh, and and delegitimizing of your identity. And uh, that, in, yeah, in full view of campus of campus administration. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. No, and uh, yeah, it felt horrible. She was crying. She was inconsolable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you took that and you continued on, and you continued to put out events. Um, and there was always food at the tables. Yes, it was awesome. Pizza. Um, this is the way to uh, college students' hearts. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you moved that on to another organization that you, you worked for. Yes. So I worked for Hasbro Fellowships, mm-hmm. um, which is an Israel advocacy organization that, spe- that specializes in actually bringing uh, students on campus who have shown themselves to have the... Um, the the personal uh, I guess fortitude mm-hmm. to stand up and uh, to stand up to those who wish to demonize and delegitimize Israel on campus and what we would we would do is we would bring them to Israel and actually give them uh, training so we would actually uh, sort of give them direction and try to hone their skills the, if we saw you know raw potential um, I went on that program as a student and then um, and then actually I did this as a job and I worked on campuses from New York, uh, all the way down to uh, D.C. and Virginia. Wow. Yeah. So what were you responsible for? Were you responsible for speaking to audiences or uh, for working with individual students in the program? Mainly speaking with students, individual students who had been on the program, uh, as well as continuing their education once they got back to the U.S. Um, obviously, I worked very closely with uh, with Faye Goldstein, um, who you yes. interviewed uh, as well. Um and I can't wait to hear that uh, that interview. No, it's gonna it's a good one. You're gonna love yes. it. Um, Faye was my, my managing director, so I can't, up, take, I can't take full credit. No, um, no. Yeah. So you are the lifeline for some of these kids with Israel and with Israel advocacy. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that was the thing that I, I struggled with myself when when I was doing this job was wondering sometimes what exactly is our impact and what is the point of the whole Israel advocacy um, uh, field or or the complex, you know, they, people talk about the, the military industrial complex. So I talk about the Israel advocacy industrial <laughs> complex, right? What is it exactly that we would like to see happen? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Personally, I'm very skeptical of, um, of long-term success. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, and success as defined by um, the just the conversion, w- yeah. let's say conversion of, of college students to the pro-Israel side you know to have this um that everyone will have this massive kumbaya moment and all of a sudden they'll realize that like israel is actually a wonderful amazing Mm -hmm. country um that is doing the best that they can in an in a situation that no other country has ever been faced in recent history um and yet despite all of its difficulties has gone above and beyond further than any other country has to advance human rights uh, and uh, and understanding and dignity of 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 those whom they are uh, forced. I shouldn't say they, but we, those who we are forced to be in conflict with. And I don't think that that's going to happen. That yeah. that the, that college students and academics uh, are going to realize this. I mean, the just the the intellectual uh, um, the intellectual. How do I how do I even put this? Well, hold on. The, the hole that they're in is too deep. 
the intellectual hole that they're in is too deep. And so what's the point? I realize that it's about strengthening Zionist um, spaces on campus. Hold on a sec. So this is something yes. that I I've thought about. I spent a lot of time thinking about, um, and I want to I want to do a parallel. And my parallel would be France. Okay, so France. Everyone thinks, oh Paris, France. The summer in 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 Paris. Oh, the summer on the French Riviera. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Which people have you been talking? Uh, to? Well, no. Come on, snobby, snobby. <laughs> Northeastern American. So, right. um, but there is this, uh, this, this air that France has and it sells itself on this. But if you look through French history, French history wasn't very nice. Didn't do very nice things. You have the Vichy most recently. You have all of these different, um, horrible historical aspects you have the things that they've done to their own people papillon as an example now these are all small examples i understand but i think and it it is and 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 i don't think it's taken advantage of the cultural aspect of israel is not shouted from the rooftops the great things about israel are not shouted from the rooftops we're defending um from a position we're defending from the bottom rather rather than from the top we have all these wonderful things and we're not having them be the first part of the conversation sure. actually so you remind me of a uh there's uh there's a great op-ed that was written uh, a few years back by um a really really great advocate uh, chloe valdry um and essentially she categorized the two types of advocacy of israel advocacy uh, that are out there. Mm-hmm. One is the the kind that essentially focuses on defense, okay. focuses on what are the anti-Israel claims, uh, what are the most difficult questions about the conflict, and let's go and educate the campus and let's make the con- let's have a conversation about that. The other the other kind of advocacy is the kind that deals with the positive elements of Israel, the parts that can be used to empower all sorts of people, when you use Israel as an example. And for the majority of students in the campus environment, mm-hmm. um, that, is the, that is the right strategy. Um, I mean, it, it's, it has been changing. Okay. But in the sense that more, more and more students are finding themselves less sympathetic towards Israel and more sympathetic towards the Palestinians, which is, you know, which is is happening for uh you know a, a variety of reasons um but more than that it's simply if you ask students and if, if students are polled okay on like what is the most important political issues to you palestinian uh statehood or palestinian freedom mm-hmm. or just palestinian rights ranks very very low on their list of priorities okay. after all sorts of other things, after climate change and after, uh, you know, uh, empowerment for women and women's rights. Um, and after interracial relations sh- and all of that. Yeah. Also with the mass, mass incarceration, police brutality, all these things rank so much higher and, and so many other things. So for someone like that, they don't really care yeah. about the conflict. They want to know what can, Israel do to help me with the things that I'm interested in. Um, 
And when it comes to that, Israel is Israel can can be used. I mean, just look at um, just look at gun rights, for example. Okay. Um, most students would like to see massive uh, uh, gun reform in the United States. In Israel, contrary to popular belief, especially by the way, this is one of the most ironic things is you have so many uh, Republican politicians who love Israel because they imagine it as a culture where uh, the the military is walking around with machine guns and. <laughs> But Israel has some of the toughest gun laws in the world. It is so, so difficult to get a gun, and the regulations are through the roof. And I was talking to someone who actually trained um, many NYPD uh, police. And the the reason why I say this is because there were, for example, when we talk about Mm -hmm. the campus politics, and you you have a Jewish Voice for Peace that was pushing a campaign on campus. Jewish Voice for Peace is a very, very rapidly anti-Israel group, and they were pushing a campaign that the um, the policies of police brutality in the U.S. by on the on the on the part of law enforcement uh, officials and officers uh, was coming from from Israel because Israel has provided training to, Whoa, to all sorts holy of yes. what this was a ma- this was a massive campaign that they ran and uh, on on campus it gained uh, a lot of traction. Um, a lot of people were convinced by this. The problem was that I actually met. Someone, uh, I, I, not just I met, I'm very good friends with this guy named Steve Gar, and he has trained police departments uh, across the U.S. So many. And he has, told, he has told me, he's told my students that something needs to be done because the things that he's teaching them is, is uh, so different from the actual policies that they, that they have in place. Um, I'll give you a specific example. Okay. Um, the uh, the idea that, um, for example, I think it was the amount of the amount of bullets okay. that people are allowed uh, in that that people are allowed to actually carry in Israel and that okay. you're allowed to purchase um, are so much lower than in the U.S. where you can just you know you can get as many as you want. There there are things in parallels that just that just don't jive. Um, the Israeli system, it's specifically also the um, the uh, the policies around exactly how to profile people, right? You know, it, it's it, they're just there's no doubt. There's that the a American, misunderstanding. Sure, there's no of doubt that the, Ameri- the right the okay. American system needs uh, needs reform. Okay, but the idea that you can place it on the blame of Israel when the actual people who are doing the training are are actually sh- saying that the people that they meet in Israel there are actual issues. So, um, excuse me, the, the the officers that they meet in the U.S. These are the kind of things that that actually can be used to empower Americans. And many uh, American students do feel that they can use these things if they're educated about it. Okay. That would be the positive side of, of Israel advocacy. Okay. Um, but it's not used enough. No, no. It's not used enough at all. Um, and now, yes. now that we've covered Israel advocacy... Right. Um, we're running out of time. That's why we, you and I can sit here and talk all day. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about your future. I want to talk about your present. Um, and then we're going to wrap it up. So you're here now. Yes. What's yes. up? So I made Aliyah about two months ago. Um, and you know, full disclosure, um, I'm about to turn 28 years old and I'm actually trying to draft into the IDF. I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, it's been a bit of a struggle. The IDF caps the uh, uh, those who can join at at 28. If once you've tur- once you've mm-hmm. turned 28, um, and 
you know, even even at 27, 26, you know, they don't make it easy because you're yeah. not you're not required to serve. Uh, I think the requirement to serve if you make aliyah as a as a, as a male. Uh, not uh, for girls, it's uh, I think it's a bit younger, but for men, it's 23. And after that, you can join, but you're exempt. I was already turned down and I went and reapplied and trying to work the system, see if we can find some uh, connections. You need me to call someone? I'll call someone. <laughs> I got about 14 people I can call. Please, please. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I got to be open about this. You know, I need uh, I need all the help I can get at this point. Um, and uh, if I do get in, it would be uh, a year and a half of service Not at least. If, when? <laughs> I used to say when, but now it's already got turned down once. So now, you know, I got to hedge my bets. <laughs> um, so... Anyways, that's uh, that's basically this has been a dream for for quite a while for me uh, to actually here. come to yeah, I'm here. I'm trying to you know, doing my best to make it happen. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what else to what else to add to that. I guess you know, stay tuned. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, definitely, because you will be back on the show. Don't worry. Um, all right, oh, Yossi. Oh, it's so great you're here. I'm so excited, Michael. It's uh, been a pleasure and and uh, an honor. It's been a long time coming. Awesome. So thank you. Thank you so much. All right, um, that's it. Todo va, the heat throat ve, yalla bye. Thank you.